Welcome to Meet the Early Day Saints, a Wayfair Magazine short audio series. I'm your host, Blair Hodges, and I'm thrilled to take you on this journey through time to meet the earliest disciples of Jesus. Together with esteemed Latter-day Saint scholars, we'll take a look at similarities and differences between ancient Christian faith and ours today. We'll challenge some common assumptions and gain a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So get ready to embark on a remarkable audio excavation back to the foundations of our faith. Let's meet the early day saints. We're joined today by Dr. Christian S. Heal. He's a research fellow at the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship at BYU. We're talking about a book that he co-edited. It's called Ancient Christians, an Introduction for Latter-day Saints, and it was published there at the Maxwell Institute. Dr. Heal served, as I said, as editor of that, and he also contributed a chapter called Preaching Christ, Scripture, Sermons, and Practical Exegesis. All right, Christian, it's really good to see you. We actually have, we worked together for quite some time. Yeah, this is true. It's lovely to see you again. Uh, we've had many fun conversations down the hallways and visiting you in your room, watching you get ready for podcasts. And I think the this book was kind of in the very beginning stages, perhaps, when I as I was preparing to leave the Institute. When did this project start? Do you remember? It's been over three years. Yeah, so there was some sort of initial discussion and then getting approval and then getting authors to sort of write chapters. That's one of the hardest parts, right? Like getting them to, <laughs> as oh, an yeah. editor, isn't that such a challenge? I mean, you're dealing with so many different authors. Yeah, this is very true. And it's nice to have um, a group of editors because then you kind of decide, right, who gets to ask this person and who's going to be most likely to, they'll say yes to. Both editors and reviewers, everything in the in the book was reviewed by kind of outside scholars, scholars, non-Latter-day Saints, scholars who are experts in early Christianity. And so, we had to go out and kind of get all of those people to hmm. weigh in as well on what we were doing. So, Was there some common feedback from, from non-Latter-day Saint scholars? Because, I mean, this book is geared for Latter-day Saint audiences. So did you notice any common things that reviewers would say as they were looking at the project? The thing I was most surprised about was to hear back from reviewers how much they would love to have a book like this for their tradition. Even Anglicans hmm. or, you know, it's like we would love – this is a fantastic book. I wish – our tradition would do something like this because these are all experts in early Christianity for whom the early Christian world is sort of almost invisible in the contemporary church. And so they looked on with a bit of envy. I, I was surprised by that. I, I almost felt that the reaction would be kind of indignant. It's like, what are you guys doing messing about with our early Christian fathers? But it turned out that they were pleased. And so I thought I was, I was surprised a little bit by that. The book is powerful in the way that I think it can connect regular everyday Latter-day Saints with scholarship that happens about the Bible and about early Christians. And there's not always a lot of connection going on there. Sometimes there's research and stuff going on in the academy, and then there's stuff that kind of happens every day on Sunday. But you as a, as a religious believer yourself and also a scholar – I mean, it seems like that's just kind of how life has been for you. Is it? Is it? Is is practicing in a ward help connect you? Has that helped connect your academic life with your religious life and with the church? Yeah, I think that I, I particularly wanted to write this chapter um, for that reason, really, because I've spent a lot of time thinking about early Christian sermons and and how early Christians told stories, especially about the Old Testament. That's the kind of area that I focused on, and realized that this is just an this is something that Christians do. They retell the stories, they gather together and talk about the scriptures and read the scriptures. And and so there is this sort of overlap. And I see it's interesting to see ways in which the things that you're reading can actually be relevant and can help and, and serve and, and provide a different model, a different pattern and some, some new ideas 
Let's talk about one in particular that's in the title of your chapter, exegesis. This is an idea, this is a tool that scholars use as, and, and, or a way that they think about how texts are read, right? I mean, you'll notice that in the title of the chapter, this is from a practical exegesis. So already I'm kind of taking exegesis as, a, as an idea and making it a little bit more sort of relevant, perhaps. Um, exegesis is the process of interpreting scripture. It's like it's the tools that are used. It's the approaches that are taken. It's the ideas that we bring to scripture, which allow us to interpret what scripture means. And so immediately the assumption is scripture is not, um, transparent. Scripture is something which needs interpreting. It needs explaining. It needs some way to take it from the page and put it in our lives. It needs some way to take it from the page and make it relevant to our belief, our church, our doctrines, our ideas. And so that's these practices of, of exegesis. And there are different approaches that were developed over time for early Christians in how they're going to interpret Scripture. Let's talk about a few of those. Um, you list them in your chapter. There's like the historical or literal reading, allegorical, anagogical, tropological. These are, again, big words. But I think when you start explaining what they are, people will probably recognize what they do with Scripture. I think that that's right. You've got these this fourfold sense of Scripture sort of developed in the early church and really continued on in the history of Christianity of how we look at Scripture. And this, I think this is a beautiful idea, but um, one of the, the scholars that I spend a lot of time with, uh, one of the early Christian writers, sorry, that I spent a lot of time with, because he was a scholar in, the, in his own life, in his own lifetime, was Ephraim the Syrian, who lived in the fourth century. And he likened Scripture to a pearl that you turn in the sunlight, and each, every time you turn it, you see a slightly different facet, a slightly different bit of its beauty. And so, the first thing to realize about scripture is it has multiple meanings. And the question is, how do we get at these? There is a, a kind of a literal historical meaning. And this is what happens when we read a story sort of as it is, gives us a sense of the, of sort of what, of event, the events that happened in the past. We want to understand the, the relationship, the, the timeline, the what's happening to the characters, where they were in the world. And then we're reading scripture as a kind of a metaphor. This is what the allegorical reading, we're reading it as a, where the text says one thing, but is actually pointing to something else. It's actually referring to something else. And we're used to reading this, for example, in the allegory of the olive tree. We call it the allegory. This is a story about olive trees and about propagation of, of an olive orchard, but it's actually about the house of Israel. So we're used to this idea of reading one thing about olive trees and meaning something else about the house of Israel. We also read scripture in, in a way to show us what's going to happen in the future in this sort of anagogical reading. We'll read, for example, the Book of Mormon in a way which suggests, okay, the Book of Mormon is actually a type of future events. And so we read the kind of the events leading up to the coming of Christ in the Book of Mormon as being a type of, of events leading up to the coming of the second coming of Christ. And we've been encouraged to do this by President Benson, for example, and other prophets. And so that's a way that we're used to reading scripture. So, which is just like they did in the early church. And then there is this tropological reading, which sounds, oh, this is not a word that is ever used in anybody's vocabulary. <laughs> um, but uh, we think of this more as, as a kind of a likening. How does this scripture relate to my life and relate to a, a way of living life that is, uh, that brings me closer to God? And that provides a kind of a moral framework for me within, within which I can work. And so we, we, we're doing this actively as Latter-day Saints. We're doing this in our Sunday school classes. 
we're doing this in our own reading. But we, what we haven't done is sort of systematize it in the same way the early Christians did. Right. And your chapter shows, I mean, to sum it all up, Scripture talks about things that have happened, things – we can use it to talk about things that are happening right now. We can use it to think about things that will happen in the future. And we can read Scripture to help us guide what our behavior should be like all throughout past, present, and future. So with with all that in mind, that's that's really good, and you summed it up quickly too. Congra- congratulations. It's, <laughs> there are volumes and volumes and millions of pages and words have been – uh, published about this. So let's talk about preaching in the early church. Your chapter is mainly about preaching, and it starts off by declaring that preaching punctuated the religious experience of early Christians. And from your description, it's it sounded to me like they were just like surrounded by preaching, and maybe that was one of the biggest things they knew about Christianity or how they experienced their faith was through preaching. Yeah, I think that preaching is the way that Christians encountered the gospel. They learned about the gospel through preaching. They heard the gospel being preached on a Sunday. They were taught about it. They they heard sermons that got them ready for ordinances. They heard sermons that interpreted what those ordinances mean. They heard sermons about the scriptures, on the scriptures. This is a large part of, of Christian preaching. They heard sermons about the, the kind of plan of salvation, where we came from, what's going to happen after this life. They heard sermons about the, the end times. And so preaching is this way in which the word was brought into the world, was sort of made lively. And I think that if we step back, we have to place ourselves in the early Christian world in a world of words and in a world of spoken words. People were certainly literate. There were books, there were scrolls, information was carried, trade was carried, and business was done through documents. But for most people, it was a a spoken world. There was literacy rates were much lower than they are today. So most people were hearing things. And I think this is the the value of preaching is this is the way we hear the word. I was interested to see how you pointed out that preaching wasn't new to Christianity. Maybe talk about preaching as a cultural phenomenon and, and you know, Christianity is growing out of Judaism. So what, what were some of the contexts of how preaching worked even as Christianity was coming into coming into its own? And I think that what we what we see in sort of early Christian preaching is actually just early Jewish preaching. So when we read the New Testament, one thing we often, even I, forget that the New Testament is a Jewish book. It's a book written by and about an early Jewish religion that became later known as Christianity. And so when we're talking about early Christian preaching, we're kind of drawing on the activities that are happening in the synagogue, where we see the scriptures being read, where we see somebody standing and interpreting the scripture and making it relevant to that audience. And so this seems to be the the pattern of early Jewish preaching, scripture reading, interpretation, and sort of this making it relevant, bringing it to bear on the audience who are listening to it right there and then. I like the example you gave from Luke 4, where where Jesus does exactly this. Yeah, exactly. We see in Jesus's preaching this lovely example where he takes the scriptures that are being read, in this case, Isaiah, and he likens them to himself. He read the scriptures are read, and he says, this day, this is fulfilled right in front of you. Now, what I suspect is there was more of a sermon, but for the sake of, and I think it makes a wonderful dramatic passage in the Gospel of Luke, what we get is the scripture and then just this succinct, this is happening right now. But the pattern is certainly laid out. Right? I mean, the pattern is clear to us 
um, right there in in sort of Luke chapter four, as, as Jesus does what um, what we expect him to be doing so often when he's sort of in the synagogue. Did we see much innovation in Christian preaching, or did it stay pretty close to its Jewish origins, at least in the early church? I mean, we only have a few examples, so I think yes, I think that we do see do see a very straightforward kind of preaching, and I think a preaching which belongs within the Jewish context. Now, there are lots of sermons which are, which survive from uh, the Jewish world of late antiquity, this time from the 2nd to the 7th century. And so we have some idea, of, and we, we see exegesis happening, interpretation of Scripture, which Scripture's being applied to people. Jews also had a, a set of approaches to interpreting Scripture that we see in exegesis. The stories were retold. So yes, we do see many of the same activities, and in these earlier sermons that I mean, the, the epistle to the Hebrews, for example, is, is understood by many to actually be a sermon that was delivered. The second epistle of Clement written in the second century is, a, is the, probably the earliest sermon outside of the, of the New Testament that we have. And so we do see, but what we, the innovation that we see is that Jesus is placed at the center of these sermons, that the, the work of Christian preaching is the work of preaching Christ. As we've talked about preaching a lot, Latter-day Saints don't often use the term preaching. We would talk about like giving a talk or like general conference addresses, right? I'm interested to hear your thoughts about kind of the language shift in in how we talk about preaching versus giving a talk or conference addresses. And because it seems like the mode can be pretty similar, which is using scripture, using the words of prophetic voices, and then talking about personal experiences. So, but we have seen the shift in how we label it. We don't really talk about preaching. Yeah, it's true. And and when we meet with our kind of Christian brothers and sisters, and if we go to their churches and talk to them about what comes over from the pulpit, this is preaching. It's that that we talk about preaching and we talk about sermons. And this, the study of this is it's sort of alive and well in, in theological schools. You can actually go and learn about, um, how to do this better. And we seem to have a, a more pragmatic sort of approach. And certainly if we go back to the, you know, if we, if we go back to what Joseph Smith was doing, he's preaching. If you go back to the general discourses, these, this is pre- preaching is happening. We're just calling it something different. We just call it, uh, these are talks, these are general conference addresses and addresses, but it feels like some of our, our other language. And, and actually, I mean, this would have happened in the early church too. You're taking the kind of secular language. It's why we call a ward a ward. We're taking secular language, like address, like talk, and we're applying it to a religious setting within the context of, in which our particular religion grew. I think it's helpful to think about that because as we look back in the early records and the book, I think the book does this really well, is to find similarities and also find differences. And I don't see the goal of the book to be to determine what's better, what's worse, or to sort of do this kind of comparative exercise of this, this is you know, superiority or inferiority, but rather what, why, why are they preaching this way? What kind of things is happening? What's different? What's similar? Let's talk about who could preach in the early church. What kind of things do we see in the records that you've dealt with as a scholar about who could preach? The records that I've dealt with point to the bishop and some of the presbyters. These are people who are ordained and have authority to sort of preach within the church as being the people who are preaching on a given week and getting people ready for, uh, there were, there were 
sermons which are getting people ready for ordinances, they're the ones who are giving these. And so it, it seems like on a given Sunday, you would go to the church in the, in the second century or in the third century, and you would expect your bishop to be the one who's preaching. In the records that survive, in the, the that come down to us, the sermons that survive are from precisely these figures. They are, we begin with sort of origin in the third century, famous people then like Jerome or like Ambrose, like Augustine. These people had a huge preaching ministry, giving hundreds of sermons and a, a portion of them, sometimes a large portion of them survive for us today. How about women? Did we see examples of women preaching in, in early Christianity? What we know is, and um, Ariel Bybee Lawton's chapter is really fantastic in this respect, and it, we know that women had an important role in the early church, that they're organizing, that they are teaching, that they're ministering, but it doesn't look low from the records that we have. I haven't come across a sermon delivered by um, a, a woman in this period. That's really interesting. You know, I mean, it could boil down to maybe not recording it or that it wasn't happening. And certainly that's something that we see different today. On, on any given Sunday, we're likely to see uh, women preaching, women giving a talk over the pulpit. So, and I think that we're really starting to appreciate the our tradition of women preaching in the church now, especially with the kind of the, the book on the, at the pulpit. I think? Uh, yeah, especially with at the pulpit. Uh, this is giving us sort of a a this record on and kind of rich record of of uh, women preaching um in in our in our particular tradition which is fantastic let's talk about some of the settings so we talked about who who's usually preaching some of these settings you point out there were particular events or occasions when particular preaching would happen for example baptism during sunday or weekly meetings and funerary examples so maybe give us an example of some of these what preaching looked like in these different settings for early christians yeah i th- i think that we're starting to see preaching as the having multiple functions um it's related to ordinances um, this is important in getting, sort of getting ready, people ready for, especially for baptism. And these are, these are called sort of in the, in the scholarly literature kind of catechetical sermons. These are, uh, catechumen is somebody who's getting ready for baptism and they would have a course of lectures, a course of sermons that they would, that would prepare them to really understand what they were doing. And then a course of sermons to, to sort of help them see this, uh, afterwards. And you have Sunday sermons. But what we start to see happening that's really sort of fascinating in the fourth century seems to be sort of in the fourth century that this really starts to develop is the development of a liturgical year. And this develops particularly around the events of Christ in the Holy Land. And so that we start to see in the Holy Land preaching being connected to, especially Holy Week, for example, for this, the last week of Jesus. So we look at the events of the New Testament. And these are being kind of preached on in particular ways. And then the birth of Christ, there are sermons that are sort of related to these, the events surrounding the birth of Christ. We start to develop this kind of liturgical year with just, just simply the way that we divide the time up and assign particular events or particular commemorations to a given Sunday. Yeah. Within the church, I mean, we kind of do this a little bit in terms of we have. On Easter, you'll probably have some sort of Easter service. Maybe the choir will do special musical numbers, same with Christmas. And then in Sunday school, at least, we do we do the scriptures in order. So one year, Old, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants. Um, 
for Christians, it's 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 much more intimate, right? Like around Easter, they have particular days that kind of follow what happens in the scriptures. They have the the calendar seems to be more intense and just really more plugged into the scriptures than what we tend to see as Latter Day Saints. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think I think that there is a and sometimes we feel a little bit of holy envy for this when we sort of turn up for our Easter service and and we see our Christian brothers and sisters who who have Lent. Kind of leading up to this, and then all of the kind of sermons around Holy Week, and they go to church on kind of Good Friday, right? and and you know that there is this sense of this being the great event in of Christianity that was sort of marking this event in a in a profound way, and I think there is something kind of really beautiful about that, and kind of worthy of kind of admiration. Uh, and I I had a, a Greek Orthodox friend when. Um, I was studying at Oxford, invite me to the Easter service for the Greek Orthodox. And this was an entirely different religious experience for me. And a beautiful, profound, filled with symbolism, filled with, filled with ritual, filled with sounds and smells and sights, which were so unusual. And it was just, there was a spirit to it, which I found particularly beautiful, but mostly this sort of communal cry of Christos Anesti, Christ is risen. At that sort of moment when midnight comes and, and we go into Sunday, the, the, the Lord's Day, the day of his sort of his rising. And this, it was just this celebration. And so it is interesting to see how over a 2000 year period, I mean, we're, we're sort of coming to the end of a 200 year period of our own tradition, but how over a 2000 year period, Christ, the, the celebration of Christ becomes sort of more elaborate. Yeah. I had a similar experience. My partner and I used to, Every year we would go to Eastern Orthodox services for Easter, and, and it's been a few years. COVID kind of got us out of the habit, but I agree with you. It's it's a, it's a beautiful experience and and a way to to connect with broader Christianity for Latter Day Saints. If people are interested in that, I definitely recommend checking out an Orthodox church in your area and and giving it a try. It's it, it can be a pretty moving experience. So I, I appreciate that, Christian. Thanks for that. I'm curious about a favorite example that you might have of an early sermon or something that really has moved you that you could share with people. Do you have an example of of an early sermon or something that, that you think people would really enjoy? Yeah, there are a couple that come to mind, which are kind of I focus on in this in this chapter, really. I love this sermon on the Magi by a Syriac Christian um, author called Isaac, probably written in the 4th or early 5th century. What we see is this lively and sort of deeply imagined evocation of what it would have been like for the Magi to arrive and bring these gifts to Christ. And it, this is, I just love this, this sermon and kind of the work that's being done in it and the, and the way that the early Christians allowed themselves to sort of live into the scriptures. And I love, this is an, an idea which I, I think you see happening a lot with early Christian uh, preaching. Where preachers allowed themselves to sort of enter into the scriptures in their imagination and then to sort of retell them and bring out connections which are relevant to that particular group. This is being preached in the precise area that the Magi would have come from. So this is, this is being preached in probably in the, the kind of Eastern Roman Empire or maybe even across the border in the Sasanian Empire. So this is. That's the area where Magi were, where these Zoroastrian priests. And so they're talking about their ancestors, essentially, as being the people who brought Christianity to them. 
and and were there at the earliest point accepting Christ when others w- were not. And so I I really love that sermon. That's one of the ones which we give a, an excerpt from in this particular chapter. Let, let's hear a piece of it. Do you have the book there with you? Yeah, I do. Let, let's. Um, this is early on in the in the in the sermon describing these magi. They've left their land. And they're kind of arriving in the land of Judah. And, and this is how it, how it reads. They reached the land of Judah and they passed within the borders of the Hebrews, thinking that they would see crowds entering the place as well. They entered and saw that the place was silent, a people not in the state of rejoicing. A great number of sentient beings were in the land, but they were asleep in the sleep of the unrighteous. They saw that the villages were quiet and the towns were silent, and they were worried that the sight that they saw was not real. However, they were not deceived about the sight, nor were they deprived of their truth. They blamed the land and its lords for not being worthy to recognize its God. What is this quiet? The Magi's intoned to one another. Did God only let us know the day of his appearance? Within Persia there is a great deal of excitement, but here a great stillness. In our country, there's a huge festival, but in Judah, a silent respite. God is in this land, but its inhabitants are still sleeping. The Lord of all is among the earthly inhabitants, but the Hebrews are unaware of him. It's such an imaginative scene that this preacher paints that really, I think, invites people that are listening to be there. Yeah, precisely. And I think that, that ability to kind of bring people into this moment, into the moment of scripture is, I think, one of the beautiful ways in which preaching can be effective, can sort of move the audience, move the congregation. I feel like I'm supposed to wonder if I'm that sleeping audience, you know, like, how do I feel right now? Um, with this, triumphant celebration happening am i the one sleeping you know so it's also kind of a a call to self-awareness yeah precisely yeah i think that the way that we see ourselves and are invited to see ourselves in different characters and not just as the heroes of the story all the time i think that's a again another way that i think preaching kind of can bring these stories to life and we notice too that how they they're kind of showing rather than telling right they're not just saying you're you're asleep, or you, these people right. did this. They're kind of showing this in in a sort of a, an evocative way, which allows the audience to make these own make these connections themselves in many ways to be able to see themselves in different parts of the story. Hmm. Well, before we go, Christian, I wondered, and I've been asking this uh, as part of this series, "Meet the Early Day Saints." If there's something that you wish more Latter Day Saints understood about our early day saints. Uh, from your chapter in particular, what, what do you hope people get from what you've provided here? What's something that really stands out to you? There's a lot of things people can learn, but is there something that if you could communicate one thing, what would it be about this? Um, maybe, uh, but this might be sort of, oh, well, I suppose this is something I'll bring out in the chapter. One of the things that I bring out in the chapter is that early Christians loved the Old Testament. They saw it as a uh, this great treasury of Testaments of witnesses of Christ, and it feels like in in our, our tradition in the church, as we we do the kind of wonderful work of going each year through each book of Scripture, the one that we're least excited about is the Old Testament. Now there are lots of reasons to sort of 
look on the Old Testament with trepidation. Um, and there's lots of complexities in it. But I think one of the things that early Christians do is offer this way of reading the Old Testament that's different from the way scholars reading it, certainly. And we need to sort of understand that. But they tell us the Old Testament is pointing towards Christ and to therefore look for Christ in the Old Testament. And I think this is a, a way that early Christian preaching can perhaps be of interest to us, as particularly as we turn to these passages of Scripture that we feel are unpromising, and look at the ways in which two millennia of preaching have sort of made them more promising. Hmm. Thanks for that. That's Christian S. Heal, a research fellow at the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship at Brigham Young University. He's a scholar of early Syriac Christianity with interests in Bible reception, history, homiletics, and more. He earned his PhD in theology from the University of Birmingham. He co-edited this book, Ancient Christians, and he also contributed the chapter that we talked about today, Preaching Christ, Scripture, Sermons, and Practical Exegesis. Christian, thanks for spending the time with us. This has been a lot of fun thinking about preaching. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. And you weren't very preachy about it either, so that's that's excellent. (laughs) (laughs) I should be practicing what I preach. That's right. That's right. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Meet the Early Day Saints, a Wayfair Magazine short audio series. Each guest is a contributor to the book Ancient Christians, an Introduction for Latter-day Saints from the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship at BYU. If you enjoyed this interview, don't miss the others in this series. You can learn more and subscribe to Wayfair Magazine at wayfairmagazine.org. Thanks to our sponsor, the Faith Matters Foundation, who promotes an expansive view of the restored gospel. And if you're looking for an expansive view, I also recommend my podcast, Fireside with Blair Hodges. It's where we fan the flames of curiosity about life, faith, culture, and more. You'll hear great interviews with incredible people that will really take you by surprise. Fireside with Blair Hodges is available anywhere you get your podcasts and also at firesidepod.org. I hope to see you there by the fire. 